We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. Now remember, uh, Paul started the book out talking about comfort. He went into the affliction that he's facing externally, probably uh, facing wild beasts in Ephesus. We're going to see his own internal struggle in 2 Corinthians 12. And we're in the section where, and this is going to appear a couple of more times in the book, where he writes about the people, and we talked about this last week, the chess game that God's working his influence through us, the enemy's working his influence through his people, and we're being moved back and forth, people coming in and out of our lives, us into people's lives, all sorts of circumstances, as God moves to use us and In the middle of that, these guys have come in after Paul's left Corinth and have told the church, look, he's a liar. He said he was coming. He hasn't done that. Paul writes, remember last week, and said, look, I'm not vacillating. Here's the reason. I felt under God I shouldn't come. It would have been painful. Would have messed us up, messed me up. I want us to have a good visit when I show up. And so in that context, he embeds a little statement we're going to look at today. Now, The statement we're going to look at today is really, really important for who you are in Christ. So listen to what he says, and we're going to walk through this slowly, but it is really, and and, and I think we're going to see this throughout the book. He really doesn't, I've told you, he really doesn't do sequencing in the book, where he goes from point to point to point to point, like he does in all the other books. He's, He's writing out of his own hurt and his own passion. And so out of that passion, he says something here. Now listen, beginning in verse 18. But God is faithful that our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who among you through us was preached through me, Silas, and Timothy, isn't yes and no, but everything in him is yes. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are Yes. Well, there is one of the most tremendous statements in the entire Word of God. When Jesus makes a promise, if you're in Christ, those promises are absolutely true. When he says in John 14, if you die, I'm coming to get you. At your death, I will not divvy that up to someone else. I will come. Romans 8 talks about the fact that we are totally forgiven. There's nothing we can do to remove ourselves from His love. We can't do anything to condemn ourselves. We're totally set free in Jesus Christ. These promises are legit. And you need them. And you need that truth. This past week, uh, we had a memorial service for one of the sweetest ladies in our church. And she's been here, I've known her for probably 25 years, walked with her through a lot of different things. But she had heard my sermon where we walked through the scripture and talked about the fact that you can't pray your will. You have to pray his will. You can't pray what you want, you have to pray what he wants. So, about three days before she died, Peg and I went up to visit her and her husband in the hospital. Peg's talking with Charlie and Melody looked up at me in the bed and said, 
So I remember your sermon. I got to ask you a question. I said, okay. She said, can I pray to grow old with him and to be there when my other son marries? So I'm kind of taken aback. I'm real. I mean, if you know me at all, I'm real committed to what this says, no matter circumstance. So I was kind of quiet, and she said, so did I put you on the spot? I said, no. I said, but I'll tell you what we can do. I said, you, when I leave, you can say to God, look, I'd like to grow old with my husband. I'd like to live long enough to see my kids, mother, son, Mary. But if you want me home, I'll go home. And she looked at me, and if you knew Melody, she had this great smile, and she looked at me and smiled, and she said, I can do that. Now, the only way you can two days before you die say that if God wants to take me home, I'm okay, is because you believe he really is going to take you home. If you've got any doubt about that, you can't pray that. You're going to be sitting in that bed begging God to keep you alive. Don't let me die because I'm not sure where I'm going. But if all the promises in Jesus Christ are yes, and he says in John 14, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There are no angels or cherubs or seraphs that come and get you. It is Jesus Christ himself. And if I know that, then I can face what I have to face. So he starts this thing out and he says, this is going to have bearing in a moment. He says, I don't care what the promise is. If you're in Christ, the promise is yours. Okay? We're all good there? No, obviously the implication is, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the promise is not yours. Now, if he promises yours, if you don't know Christ. But if you do, it is. So now watch what he says. He says, and, and the amen to God resulting in glory comes through us. In other words, when the promises are enacted, God's glory shows up. Now watch what he says in 21 and 22. But the one who establishes us, present tense, with you into Christ and past tense has anointed us is God. The one who has sealed us and gives the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts is now, listen to what he just said. He's careful in the Greek. He uses particular tenses. He says there is a confirmation going on in your life right now. It is a process. It is a present work. He is right now establishing you. But that establishing you is based on an act, past tense, that occurred back here. He calls it. The anointing of the Spirit, in other words, when you become a Christian, Jesus cleans you up, the Holy Spirit comes in you and indwells you, and at that moment, the process of establishing you that goes on all the way till you die, that process of confirmation starts, and it never stops, it is rooted in what a point in the past when the Holy Spirit indwells you. He goes to work confirming and establishing who you are, and that never ends. Now, if you go to the bank, matter of fact, I, uh, 
my wife was ready to kill me, but when we were on sabbatical, if you've ever sold something on Craigslist, you get those scam things, right? You ever dealt with those guys? They say they will send you a check. And if you're goofy enough, you take the check, you put it in your account, and you pay them. You keep what is yours, and you pay them a bunch of extra money, and then you realize a few days later, oops, check wasn't worth it. Well, I played them all the way to the hill. I got my check, $8,000. And I didn't cash it, of course, because there's nothing to cash. So we went through a little deal, and my wife finally said, do you realize they know where we live? I said, it's okay, it's not our house. (laughs) So... What the bank does is they establish the truth of your check. You go into any bank, it'll say if you deposit something today, you may not be able to get it out today because they have to confirm or establish your funds. So here's what God does. You come to Christ, he plants his Holy Spirit in you, and he goes to work proving to the culture you live in That you are, in fact, his. He goes to work. It's a process. It's present tense. He is right now confirming every single one of you. He is establishing you. After you came to Christ, he is establishing you as someone that is his inside this culture. That's what he's doing. (laughs) Some of you may be looking at your life going... Well, he needs to work a little harder. I mean, you look at this church, right? Come on, these people are divided. They're drunk at the Lord's Supper. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're suing each other. Their marriages are shot. They've wrecked the spiritual gifts. These people are messed up completely. they got a guy living in sin they don't even care about. He says, though, even with all that, that God is in a process of proving to the city of Corinth that these people are who in fact they say they are. As a matter of fact, you begin to see it. Because the next time we meet, we will see that they did react to his last letter and this guy that they didn't care about, they chunked out of the church and now they've been so tough on him, Paul says, look, you need to let him come back in. So they are responsive to what he wrote. That's the beauty of who you and I are. Are we immediately perfect when the Holy Spirit indwells us? Eh. But there's a process that goes on where he establishes us more and more each day. I remember when I was in college, went to the movie, uh, MASH, uncut. I'm a sophomore in college and I thought it was the funniest movie I've ever seen. I thought it was hysterical. I told my buddies, man, well, you need to go see this. Two years later, I'm watching it, the cut version, on TV, and I am sickened by the debauchery in the movie. What happened? Holy Spirit is in the process of changing who I am. It's in the process of changing who you are. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a process that's the beauty he is establishing what you say 
you believe about Christ to the culture you live in so that there's an amen to the glory of God that comes out of your life. He said, well, no, wait a minute. Because i got to be honest, preacher, I... I'm not always a good wife, not always a good husband, not always a good dad, not always a good worker, not always a good friend, not always a good person. Now, my bet is every one of us in this room can say that. But it's a process he doesn't quit on. How do you know he doesn't quit? Look at the next phrase. I love this. The one who sealed us and gave the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts. Number one, he sealed us. That Greek word, spragizo, is a Greek word that was used when a king wrote a letter. He would take some wax, he would fold it over, and he would seal it with the wax. And then he'd take his ring that had a picture of his little uh, coat of arms, and he would put it inside the wax so that if that letter got lost and somebody picked it up and they saw that seal... And they realized the king's seal, that they understood they had no authority to unseal that thing. Only he could do it. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Don't let any of these people on TV, don't let anybody tell you that you can be possessed by a demon as a Christian. Let me tell you, you aren't sealed by an angel or a seraph. You are sealed by Almighty God. They can't possess you. They can bother you. They can wear you out, but they cannot possess you. Because when they sit up, and they see who sealed you, buddy. Listen, they back off. They're not afraid of angels. They're not afraid of seraphim. They're not afraid of uh, cherubim. They're not afraid of any of these things. They're not afraid of the four living beings. But they are terrified of God Almighty. And you are sealed by the third person of the Trinity. Sealed. You say, well, okay, but how do I know? Maybe I can do something so bad that he looks down and goes, nah, I'm going to unseal it. No. Look at the next phrase. And gives the Holy Spirit as the down payment in our hearts. Now, listen to this. You stay there. He says the same thing in Ephesians 1, but he elaborates. Now listen to this. In whom also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in which also you believed, you were sealed, same Greek word, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now watch this. Who is the down payment, now listen, for our inheritance. That is a redemption of the possession under the praise of his glory. Here's what he says. He says the Holy Spirit in you is a down payment. God's promise to you that he's going to redeem you because you belong to him. Now, I realize we live in a day when a lot of people throw down a lot of down payments and we don't come back and collect what we promised we would. But it's not a human being that put the down payment in you. It is God Almighty himself. He put his Holy Spirit in you as a down payment and said, look, my Holy Spirit's in you. I will come back and redeem you. I will take you home. Nothing can prevent that. You are sealed. And it's a down payment from my mouth to your heart. I'm taking you home. I can't change that. Once I meet Christ, all the promises become mine, and God goes to work in a process 
to establish to those around me that I belong to the one I say I belong to. That I want you to hang on to. When I was a kid, I watched this movie that most of you would probably look at today and go, wow, it's really melodramatic, but it was up for five Academy Awards. And the problem is that it was so powerful. I mean, it confirmed a theology that I believed growing up. It's a story about... uh, Really handsome couple. He's successful, making a lot of money, great job, nice home, and he meets this beautiful young lady. But the pressure of the job has begun to get to him, and he's begun to do some two martini lunches. It's not a beer after he mows the yard. And pretty soon he's struggling, and he's headed into hardcore alcoholism. He meets this young lady, and he offers her a drink. She says, I don't drink. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, of course, in time, as he begins to slide in, they fall in love. He pulls her into his lifestyle. Now, to make a long story short, what happens is they both become alcoholics, loses his job. He gets fired from five jobs in four years. They can't hold a job. Their money's gone. They're losing everything. And they're basically, as he says later in the movie, he said, look at it. We're just two bums. Well, eventually, to make a long story short, he goes to AA. And a little bit of struggle, but after a little bit of struggle, he comes out, and he's okay. Now, this is one of the key things that hits him. He never gets his job back, really. He never makes the money he made. He never lives in the home. He's living, at the end of the movie, in a dumpy little apartment with his little 13-year-old girl, but at least he's got her. But he's living in this dumpy apartment with no money, check-to-check, dead-end job, and there's a knock on the door. And it's his wife. They haven't been together for a long time. And she comes in and she says, I want us to have what we used to have. And he said, there can't be three of us. Me and you and the booze. We need to pack this. you got to end this. And you can see she's torn. She wants to be there with him and their daughter. But the pull. It's just too strong. And at the end of the movie, she's walking away from him by this blinking bar sign and headed into a part of town where she can basically sell herself to get the money she needs. Now, the reason that had such a profound effect on me is because for years, that was my theology. I grew up with a little guy in church, and I heard, and I don't think it was, they weren't trying to to inculcate this in me, but as a little guy, when I grew up in church, over and over and over, heard in Sunday school class, hey man, God's watching you, he's watching you, he's watching everything you do, he's watching you, and it was always the tone, but it was the idea that man, God is up there basically watching me and hoping that I will mess up, and if I mess up bad enough, If I mess up bad enough, he's done. And then he'll step back. He'll pay no more attention to me. 
not be involved with me, and he just lets me go. And that movie confirmed that theology until I actually began to read the scriptures. That's not what it teaches. Can you mess up really badly? Absolutely. If, if tomorrow comes out, and I haven't done this, so let's make that clear. It comes out tomorrow that I stole money from this church. Stole $100,000. You got to fire me. And I can never, ever again be the pastor here. Matter of fact, I am a firm believer that Satan never wants to take people down in their 20s. He wants to take them down in their 40s and 50s where the impact is maximum. And that they don't have time to recover from what they've done. But what I want you to understand, I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care what your struggles are. I don't care what you think about yourself. Let me be sure and understand this. God is never done with a single person that is his child. Ever. I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad it is. He doesn't sit up and go, well, I told you, I'm done. He goes right to work desperately to pull you back, get you back on the road, clean you up, and try to continue the process that was started when the Holy Spirit indwells you because the Holy Spirit is a sealer and a down payment, and that's never going to end. I don't care how bad you are. He does not stop. Ever. Matter of fact, what he loves to do is pull you out of what you put yourself into so that he can show to the community he's not perfect, but he is mine, or he couldn't have climbed out of what he put himself in. So let me end with this statement. No humor. But you remember this. If you're not dead and you're his, he's not done. Don't ever let the enemy tell you anything else. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I just know what I see in the mirror and I thank you that I don't hold on to you, you hold on to me. Father, if it was up to me in the process, it would be a failure every single day. I ask you for those in this room. If they came in today and they have beaten themselves up and they have failed and they failed miserably, or they made a mistake or they haven't been a good mom and they messed up and they have just begun to beat themselves up, Father, let them know they are in a process that you will win inside of. Let them feel that. Let them know that. And Father, for those in this room that do not Possess your spirit because they have not met your son. Let today be a day when they say, I need Jesus Christ. But Father, for those of us that have your son and have your spirit, 
Remind us we are sealed. You promised you're taking us home. And the process never failed. I even thank you for Samson last week who froze himself on the chessboard. But right after they blinded him and put him in the, bin, in, in, in the corn bin, your very next verse says that his hair began to grow back. Because in spite of his failure, you did not quit. Drive that into every heart in this room. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you've never met Jesus, we want to share with you how to do that. God's calling you to be a part of this church. We want you to surrender to that. If you need to just come down here and kneel and pray, maybe you need to say, man, I've been one of those. I've beaten myself up. I'm grateful to know he's not done with me, and I want to thank him for that. Whatever decision, we will pray with you about anything, whatever decision he lays on your heart as he speaks to you this morning. You come.